This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Law is more than the policeman on the corner, more than the courthouse where our laws are enforced, more than the jail where lawbreakers are punished. In your whole community, there are customs and moral codes which guide your actions. What social controls affect you? This is one of those, it's a no-brainer. Wrong. <laughs> well, they said, oh, he gets all this money from the, from the liquor stores. And I did. I got a ton of money for my campaign. This is Life of the Law. I'm Nancy Mullane. Everyone's familiar with local laws that don't seem to make any sense. In San Francisco, where I live, you can get a citation just for sitting on the sidewalk. And in Tennessee, for the longest time, it was illegal for grocery stores to sell wine, but the state left it perfectly legal to ride around in cars and drink alcohol. For years, state lawmakers have wrangled over how or whether they should change the two rules at all. Where odd laws come from and how they're crafted can be messy. Daniel Potter, a one-time Statehouse reporter in Nashville, picks up the story from here. Jamie. There you are. How are you? Doing good. How are you? Good. I thought you had bags. My friend Jamie Mockamer is a lawyer in Tennessee. She's taking me for a drive, and I'm relaxing in the car, in a way it's hard to believe is legal. Hey, Jamie? Yeah? Thanks for driving. No problem. How's your beer? Subtle notes of beer. Good. Yep, that's me, drinking a beer in the car. Which, Makamer assures me, is totally legal. Absolutely. In Tennessee, the only person who's not allowed to drink in the car is the driver. Now, before you head out for a booze cruise in Tennessee, you should know counties and towns are allowed to make their own open container laws. But, Makamer says, most of the time, if there's a driver, three passengers, and three open cans of beer, that's not enough to show the driver broke the law. So generally, as long as the number of open drinks is the number of passengers or less, you're good to go. It's legal for passengers to drink in the car in Tennessee. Which may seem hard to believe, but the head of the Tennessee Highway Patrol, Lieutenant Colonel Tracy Trott, says, yeah, pretty much. So if an officer pulls someone over and there's four people in the vehicle, including the driver, but only three open containers, then then there's not much he can do in court. No, and he would lose that case every time in front of a judge. The officer would lose. Yes. Trot argues because someone driving can simply pass the bottle, it's that much easier for drivers to drink. And so the logic goes, Tennessee's highways are less safe. This is one of those, it's a no-brainer. Wrong. (laughs) 
That's State Representative John Lundberg. I'm a Republican from East Tennessee. I represent the first district. I can honestly say I'm number one, so at least in district numbers. In the Tennessee legislature, it's practically a routine event. Lundberg gets in front of a bunch of committee members and says he wants to fix Tennessee's open container law. Lundberg is what's called the sponsor, the member who's carried the open container bill each session, trying to get votes for it in committee, all that stuff. Lundberg says he doesn't know why it's been so hard to change Tennessee's open container rule. The first time he tried it, he figured this'll be a piece of cake. And frankly, being the naive, young, new guy I was, I thought, well, I can take this bill and pass it because, frankly, it makes sense. It's not a Republican issue. It's not a Democrat issue. It, it, it cuts down on drinking and driving. That's not how it played out. Explaining the bill to other lawmakers and committee, it quickly became apparent they were skeptical. This wasn't going to be easy. <laughs> and I got to the first committee meeting, and there were literally two hours of questions. Um, and every kind of question from, okay, now what happens if the Catholic priest is bringing sacramental wine back in his car and it's open? Could he be arrested? Well, I don't like it because of that, you know, and all sorts of inane questions that, and at a certain point I realized I'm just getting set up because these people are going to kill this bill. So, and they very clearly did. It's all the more surprising because, apart from trying to save lives, Lundberg has a second argument money. The federal government wants states to pass open container laws so badly that in states like Tennessee, where the law isn't deemed up to snuff or where there is no law, it pulls some purse strings. Every year, millions of federal dollars that would go to highway projects and new construction jobs in Tennessee are diverted. Instead, the money pays for overtime for DUI enforcers and TV ads like this one with the slogan, booze it and lose it. Sir, I detect the presence of alcohol. Have you been drinking this evening? Not really. Just a few. Maybe I had a drink or two. Step out of the car, please. Come on, step out for me. Step out of the car. This holiday season, Tennessee law enforcement officers are out to save lives. You will see sobriety. About a thousand people die on Tennessee roads each year. It's a figure so alarming, the state displays it on electronic message boards over the interstate around Nashville. Exactly how many lives a revamped open container law might save is hard to pin down. State and federal officials were reluctant to provide a number. Mothers Against Drunk Driving didn't have an estimate either, but a spokesperson said maybe a couple dozen. That's a number Representative Lundberg has touted in committee meetings, although he backed off it when I interviewed him for this story. I was surprised it wasn't a bigger number. Mm -hmm. To me, it's one of those, whether it's one or 24, it, it, (laughs) again, it's, I don't mean to laugh, but it, it saves lives without question. Nobody questions that. Whatever way he argues it, Lundberg can't seem to persuade his fellow legislators to change the law. He says he doesn't know why it's so hard. Committee members have offered up lots of reasons, but to Lundberg, they feel like excuses. Like people come in with their minds already made up and only seek justification after the fact. In that case, especially with open container, because I think every legislator that sits on that committee knows that it makes sense. So before I vote no, I better come up with a plausible explanation so that I have something to hang my hat on and why I'm voting against something which is so blatantly obvious that I should vote yes. And that's why you hear people trying to kill it with, well, I think we need to study this more and find out what's going on. Lundberg has become a kind of Sisyphus. He rolls this rock up the hill over and over, only to watch it careen back down and start again. He's been trying to get this bill passed for seven years. 
In a state where literally thousands of bills have made it through in the meantime, seven years is an eternity. How much longer should I have to argue for it other than, hey, folks, here's something that'll save people's lives, it makes our highways safer, makes millions of dollars. Anything else you need to hear from me? Mm -hmm. It should be, no, let's move it through. There go the brakes. So how does anyone get a bill passed anyway? For Lundberg, this isn't the first time he's had to hang on, grind through a couple election cycles, and hope to eventually push a bill through. He managed to change another Tennessee law you might call peculiar, also to do with booze. But it wasn't easy. For the longest time in Tennessee, it was illegal for grocery stores to sell wine. Only a few hundred liquor stores around the state could. Some called it a state-sanctioned monopoly on wine, a testament to the outsized influence of the liquor lobby in the home of Jack Daniels. The bill Lundberg helped pass says, instead, if towns and counties want to let other stores sell wine too, voters can decide for themselves in local referendums starting this fall. It's part of a compromise that took several years to iron out because liquor stores like being the only place you can buy wine. The legislation ran into all kinds of stumbles and delays, but in the end, it passed. So why did this bill make it through when Lundberg's open container proposal didn't? The answer comes down to people. Other lawmakers who opposed Lundberg's bill, like this guy. I'm Kent Williams, uh, state representative, District 4. In some ways, Williams seems similar to Lundberg. He's from a nearby district in East Tennessee, relatively conservative. But Williams spoke out against both Lundberg's efforts to strengthen the open container law and to broaden where wine can be sold. He fought to protect liquor stores so they could go on selling wine without new competition. And a possible explanation can be found in his campaign finances. So they said, oh, he gets all this money from the, from the liquor stores. And I did. I got a ton of money for my campaign. Most liquor stores in Tennessee are small businesses. So, Williams says, he didn't want to take the ability to sell wine and just hand it to some mega chain of groceries like Walmart or Kroger, both of which wrote checks of their own to the other guy, Lundberg. Still, Williams says campaign cash from mom-and-pop liquor stores didn't sway his vote. He already knew what he thought before the checks came in. But it wasn't because they were trying to buy me. It's because I was trying to protect them from the beginning. It had nothing to do with campaign contributions. It had to do with, I want to try to protect this small business. Whether you buy Williams' explanation or think it's just cover, there's still the question of why it's been so hard to change Tennessee's open container law. Williams defended passengers' ability to drink in cars as a matter of individual freedom. Here he is at a committee meeting in 2012. If I got three buddies visiting me from Miami, Florida that come up pretty often, and we play golf, and I'm a designated driver, and they want to have a cold beer, I don't see it. I think that's my car. That's my rights. I mean... Later on, during that same meeting, he had a testy exchange with Lundberg. You say no to this bill. I'm just reiterating you're saying yes to people who are going to perish, to those parents. You are saying... I, I take offense to was your last statement uh, about, you know, killing people on the highways because of my vote. I, I don't appreciate that. And, and you are the sponsor of the wine bill that would make wine available to our teenagers, more available, who are going to be out on the roads driving. So, yeah... If, I'm sorry, I'm out of order, I know. Fine, is there any further discussion? 
pricking the consciences of other lawmakers is one of the strategies Lundberg hoped would win votes from skeptics like Williams without much luck. So what about the claim an open container bill could save lives? Possibly a couple dozen. I asked Williams. I guess I'm just wondering if some folks are going to hear this and, and hear that claim that that a law like this could could save lives, could could save, you know, I don't know if I buy the two dozen figure or not, but I think some people would argue it seems like you give up relatively little in order to get a lot back in terms of saving those lives. What would you say to that argument? I would, you know, that's a great argument. Uh, you know, if we can save lives, but let's not do it for political reasons, and that's basically what this law has been about. Someone wants to make a name for themselves to pass this particular law. Williams also says statistics can be spun or framed in such a way you can tell any story you want. And he argues it's a double standard where booze is concerned. It's not illegal to talk on a cell phone while driving in Tennessee, so why single out alcohol? For now, Tennessee law still permits passengers to drink while riding in cars. The reasoning is anything but satisfying to Lundberg. Let's delay this for a year. Let's do whatever. And again, you're trying to come up with some reason to vote no, if you're going to vote no, and be plausible because I think you're going to go back home to your home district and people are going to go, really? What was your logic there? Mm -hmm. And they're not going to have a good answer. One other potential explanation that comes up is how much Tennessee loves football and tailgating. Lots of voters like to pregame with a cold one or three while riding to the stadium. So, the thinking goes, disrupting the game day ritual might keep a politician from getting reelected. It seems about as easy to believe as any other hypothesis, given the complex and messy nature of shaping our legal landscape. A political fight can resemble a fault line. There are two sides, grinding against each other like tectonic plates. Pressure builds from both sides for years on top of years, but from the surface, it looks like nothing's moving until something shifts. Maybe a deal is struck or someone retires, as Williams is doing. In the meantime, the laws on the books are a snapshot of how a handful of officials felt at a given moment in history. When laws outlast the logic of those moments, new information comes to light, say, or public sentiment shifts, they can seem out of place and may take a while to catch up. Put another way, when laws seem contradictory or confusing, it's proof the people making them are only human. For Life of the Law, I'm Daniel Potter. This episode of Life of the Law was edited by Sally Herships, with sound direction and production by Caitlin Prest. Life of the Law features music composed by Johnny Ripper, Todd McDonald, Matthew Darr, and Kyle Kaplan. Life of the Law is a project of the Tide Center and is part of the Infinite Guest Network of podcasts from American Public Media. Take a minute to check out some of the other great podcasts, such as Secret Skin and Reasonably Sound. Go to infiniteguest.org. Distribution of Life of the Law is also made possible by PRX, Public Radio Exchange. Life of the Law is funded by the Open Society Foundation, the Law and Society Association, and by you, our listeners. If you haven't already, take a minute to subscribe to our podcast. 
For more on this story and others on the law in our lives, visit lifeofthelaw.org. I'm Nancy Mullane. I'm Amy Choi. And I'm Rebecca Lair. And we are the Mashup Americans. The Mashup Americans. <laughs> uh, think of us as your guide to the hyphen America world we live in. Are you first generation Korean American married to a Colombian Mexican American and making beige babies? Us too. Or do you speak three languages and eat Salvadoran pupusas at Shabbat? Is Spanglish your best language? That's me. <laughs> uh, Spanglish is definitely your best language. Yeah, it was kind of a problem in graduate school. <laughs> eh, don't worry about it. We're, we're done with that. So we've got a new show here on the awesome Infinite Guest Network. You can go search for Mashup Americans in your favorite podcast app and check it out. We've got a great story about the mashup life of Donald Trump. Oh, and I just went to Margaret Cho's house to Netflix and chill. Kind of. <laughs> oh, my God. Vamos, let's do this. As we like to say, get to know yourself, America.